In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. We may all be seated. Thanks, Lopo. Great songs. What a gift it is we can sing, hey? And sing such truth like that. But that is the, uh, the central message of, uh, of the gospel, of Christianity. It is the uh, salvation through the rugged cross of Jesus Christ. Through the shed blood of uh, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, we have the forgiveness of our sins and we can rejoice in that because there was no other way possible that we could be reunited with God other than through the blood of Christ being shed on our behalf. So what a great truth we can, uh, we can sing about. Well, we are, through the month of um, January, doing a series on the stories of Jesus. And um, I want to thank Rob last week for, for uh, opening up the first one, the parable of the lost sheep. So parables are stories that Jesus told to illustrate a point when he was perhaps giving some teachings to disciples. And uh, they are a great way to sort of see what Jesus is talking about. And today we're going to look at another parable that Jesus taught about as well. Uh, thinking about this though, what are you like at being ready or prepared? Getting ready or being prepared. I've been reading this week about these uh, people in these fire areas and uh, what they're doing about getting ready for bushfires around Australia. And uh, the sort of stuff they do is they go and obviously clean out all their gutters, get all the litter off the top of the roof. Now they, get, they actually fill their gutters with water, so if these embers come along, they actually land on the gutter and they're extinguished. They position buckets of water and bins of water around the house at strategic locations and quickly able to douse out maybe a small flame that might come along. And they make sure their pumps, their water pumps, are fueled up and ready to go and all the hose connections are organised. They're prepared. They're ready. They're not actually going out to put another coat of paint on the chook house when the fires are coming. They're actually thinking about other things and they're getting these more serious things in place. They're ready, they're expectant and they are prepared. We're going to talk about this parable today, which talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I'd like to ask this this question. Are we ready? Are we expectant? Are we living in readiness for the return of Jesus Christ? If you've got your Bibles, uh, go to Matthew 25. And we're going to take a parable right at the start of chapter 25. Verse 1, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom, bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. 
Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Father, we are so glad and thankful that we can come this morning and open up this uh, precious, living, eternal word that you have given to us. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that comes now, indwells us at conversion, and Lord, also brings life to this word. So we ask and pray, Holy Spirit, you would do that now. You would open up the eyes of our heart uh, to see the wonder and the mystery of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And through that, we ask, Holy Spirit, you would help us to be ready and living in readiness, I pray. We ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you know for other than about 30 or 33 years of history, we have been waiting for Jesus to come to earth? From the first call of the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3 to Malachi chapter 4, the end of the Old Testament, and then another 400 years of silence after that, they were waiting for the Messiah to come. A few thousand years there. It was Jesus who did come. He came for about 33 years of the history of the world, and then returned back to heaven. And we are now awaiting his second coming. So other than 33 years of history, we've always been waiting for Jesus to come. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 24, 25, where we get to this parable here of the ten virgins. It's the second coming of Christ. Firstly, though, there's been talk and predictions about the return of Jesus ever since he left 2,000 years ago. It's been a hot topic right throughout history, the second coming of Christ, and probably just as much the first coming of the Messiah as well. The Thessalonian church in Paul's time and the apostles' time, after Jesus had risen probably only a few years later, they literally gave up their jobs and their work and just waited for Jesus to come. Paul the apostle said, guys, get back to work because Jesus hasn't come yet. Don't do that. A Roman clergyman predicted that Jesus would return in 500 AD. This was based on the dimensions of the ark. The ark is 500 cubits long. Somehow he thought Jesus will come at 500 AD. Jesus didn't return at 500 AD. Pope Innocent III predicted that Jesus would return in 1284. He did this by adding up the start of the, uh, the, the year of Islam, which was 618 AD, and also the number of the beasts from the book of Revelation, 666. And he worked out from that that Jesus will return in AD 1284. Jesus didn't return. Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon church cult, predicted that Jesus would return in 1890. Jesus didn't return. Charles Taze Russell, who founded the Jehovah's Witnesses cult, also predicted that the world would end in 1910 and that Jesus would invisibly return in 1914. Jesus didn't return, or if he did, we still haven't seen him, because he's invisible, possibly, I don't know. Maybe Joseph was trying to hedge hedge his bets there. Jesus didn't return. One last one. A Korean man by the name of Lee Jang Rim from the Dami Mission predicted that Jesus would return through the Sydney Harbour Bridge in 1992. Get this. Jesus didn't come, and Rim ran off with $4.4 million of his people's money after that prediction. Not only that, a number of people committed suicide because of the anxiety and stress that Jesus was returning, and a number of ladies had abortions, not wanting to have babies on that day that Jesus was coming. Lots of people predicted that Jesus would return. Jesus didn't come in 1992. Jesus is coming again. And that's exactly what he's talking about here with his disciples in Matthew 24 
25. And Jesus' main point here is this. His return is unknown. His timing is unknown. So as we wait, we must wait in readiness for when he comes. But the second coming of, the, uh, of, the, uh, second coming of Jesus Christ is a core teaching or doctrine of the gospel. The hope of salvation is really built on the visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the last things the disciples heard when Jesus was with them as he was ascending to the heaven, into heaven, uh, the angel said he was coming back in. You can go to Acts 1 and see that. They said, the same way you saw Jesus leave, he will come again. That was one of the last things they heard, that Jesus was coming again. The early church had a very strong conviction of the second coming of Christ. So much so, as we said there earlier, the Thessalonians thought he was coming imminently, like in the next day or the next week, so they gave up their jobs waiting for him to come. It was a strong conviction there. Paul did correct that, as we just said. If there's one point that Jesus makes about his return, it is this. It's unknown. The day or the date or the time. No one knows when Jesus is going to return, and no one can predict when Jesus will return. He says it there in Matthew 24, 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. I'm not really sure if Jesus can make that any clearer in that passage there. Concerning that day, no one knows. Not even the Son. Now, Jesus is talking about himself there, but he's talking about himself in his humanity. Nobody knows when Jesus is coming again. Still, this doesn't stop people trying to predict or work out when Jesus is coming. You can go to YouTube or all sorts of uh, media platforms today and you'll find people making predictions and statements here about the end times and the return of Jesus. I've seen them. People have sent me clips from time to time. Now, they'll, they'll get their charts out and they'll have all the current events of world political powers doing their thing. And you'll hear all sorts of things from these commentators saying, look, it's happening. Iran is sending missiles into Israel. This is the end of the world. And they'll get all their charts out and they'll try and plot all these things. And at the end of their video, they'll say, please be sure to like my video and rate it on the App Store. To, we need to get this message out to everybody else. I've seen these things. And the whole thing is said and done in an air of, you need to follow my predictions. I can read the times. I can read the seasons we're in. Jesus' return is imminent. It'll be happening perhaps within days of now. But this isn't how Jesus is talking about it here. Look at what he says in Matthew 24, 37 through 39. He's talking about Noah here in these verses. He says, think about what was happening in Noah's day. Noah, under the command of God told them a flood of God's judgment was coming. Noah preached righteousness and he preached judgment that God was coming to judge the world because it's rejection and rebellion of him. He was bringing a flood. And what did they do back then? It says in that verse, they just went on living as though nothing was happening. Nothing was happening. Eating, drinking and getting married. Just the everyday stuff of life. And they were totally unprepared for the flood. And it came on them with total and complete surprise. Jesus is saying, my return will be just like that. Life will be going on just as normal. People will be doing their everyday thing. Going here, going there. Meeting for coffee, having a walk around the lake. 
planning a holiday, buying a new car. People will be just going on with life as per normal. There won't be anything significant happening that will somehow write up Jesus' name in the sky to say he's coming next week. It'll be just like normal and it'll come as a complete and total surprise. Jesus says it again in Matthew 24, 23, 27. He says this, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So, if they say to you, Look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus is preparing us beforehand about any false predictions, about any mumbo-jumbo talk about his return. Don't buy into it. Nobody knows. Don't fall for these false predictions. You can't pinpoint my return. It's unknown. He's coming back, but it's unknown. Now, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging there like that, though. Just sort of hanging like, well, yeah, you're coming, but what's, what's the go? What's happening in the meantime? Jesus is very clear about his return, and what he's clear about is this. Be ready. Be ready. Look what it says there in Matthew 24, 42. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. In verse 44 again he says it, just in case they didn't quite get ready, uh, get, get it in their heads. Therefore you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. If there's one thing that Jesus is communicating here, he says be ready. Be ready. And this is now where Jesus goes into this parable here to illustrate this point. Um, about being ready. And it's about the ten virgins we read about there before. There's five sensible and prepared virgins and there's five silly and unprepared ones here in this parable. Now here's the story. Weddings are a major community event in Jesus' time. Uh, it's a time of jubilation and celebration that often the whole village get involved with. Somebody's getting married. The whole village actually would just rejoice with this. It was one of those events you did not want to miss out on. It was a marriage. It was a wedding. There was going to be great celebrations there. In this build-up, the bridegroom will be at his parents' place getting prepared for the wedding and its celebration. Excitement and expectation will be building as all this is happening in the background. And it will be a real privilege to be a part of the bridal procession, as it were, to follow the bridegroom down to uh, go to these festivities. The bridegroom will be announced that he's leaving uh, the home to go and meet his bride and then the festivities would begin. This is the whole celebration here of this wedding that's going to take place. But the point here is this, that the movement of the bridegroom wasn't at a fixed time necessarily. He couldn't say it was going to be at 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon is when the bridegroom will leave. Uh, things can happen and the whole event can be uh, delayed. I'll just share a short story with you. Laurel and I went to our nephew's wedding. Laurel's nephew about 16, 17 years ago, 18 years ago, uh, down in Tasmania. Uh, and the bride was an hour late for the wedding. So it was 2 o'clock. We all got there at 2 o'clock and the bride turned up at 3 o'clock. Things happen sometimes. That's a pretty long delay, but it was an hour late. Things happen. Anyway, the ten virgins head up for this wedding because they want to be part of these festivities and this celebration. 
But the groom is delayed. So much so in the delay that the virgins fall asleep. But then a cry goes up. He's coming. The bridegroom is coming. Oh. It's all right. I've just set off somebody's Siri, I think. <laughs> He's coming. Oh. <laughs> Normally that happens to my wife and her phone. No, Siri doesn't know either. That's right. The cry goes up. The bridegroom is coming. These girls, these virgins, rise up to trim their lamps because that's what you've got to do back then because they've gone out in the waiting. The oil has run out. But the five silly girls, the five foolish virgins, who have no extra oil to light their lamps with, they trim the wicks, but nothing can happen. They've got no oil to light their lamps with. And they ask the others, the five uh, wise virgins, can you please give us some oil? But they say, no, if we give you some of our oil, we'll have nothing to light our lamps with. You need to go and buy some more for yourself, somewhere else. So the five foolish girls head off down the road to buy some more oil, to trim their uh, wicks and to come back and get their lamps going again. And then they discover this. The bridegroom has come. The party has started and they're locked out. And then the foolish girls in verse 12 call out to the bridegroom, let us in. And he says, I don't even know you. Verse 12 may seem a bit harsh here, but Jesus, remember, is talking about the second coming of Christ. He's saying, I don't even know you. The point is this in verse 12, that when Jesus has come to collect his bride, there are no second chances to come to Jesus after that. He's talking about the second coming here. When Jesus comes, there will not be another chance to beg for mercy or call for Jesus to, can you save me now? Because he's come and he's taken his bride. Jesus has been and now he's gone. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Not next week, not next year. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus' big point though here for both Matthew 24 and 25 is in verse 13. Watch therefore, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Jesus is saying, be like the five wise virgins. Watch. Stay awake. Be prepared. Be alert and be ready. Be ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, now just a side note. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how people would live if they had a fairly accurate time of when Jesus was coming back? If you knew Jesus was coming back, on July the 1st, 2020. Can you imagine how people would live? I reckon a good number of people, if they knew when Jesus was coming back on July the 1st, 2020, would probably live it up as much as they possibly could. They would party like there's no tomorrow. They would get their bucket list out and they would tick off every single thing, everything they could possibly cram in for the next six months. And with just a few days to spare, maybe about June 26th or June 27th, right, whew, I better get things organised now of Jesus and I'll get things right and I'll, and I'll just make it. I'll just, I'll just scrape in because he's coming in four days' time. I think that's how people would live, wouldn't they? Can you imagine how many genuine conversions there would be if it was like that? I reckon there'd be none. 
Because you're not genuinely coming to Jesus. You're just trying to get a bit of maybe fire insurance or something on that at the very end. Jesus tells us we don't know when he's coming back, but he says, be ready. He says, be ready. So Jesus' whole point here is being ready for his coming. Now you may be sitting here today and thinking, I'm not ready. I don't think I'm ready. Maybe this is your first time to exchange. Maybe this is your first time into a church ever. And you maybe know you're not ready. I'm going to say, I'm glad you're here. We love to have people come and visit us at Exchange. For the first time, we love to have people come to hear about Jesus because we want to help you to be ready through what Jesus has done for us. You pick the perfect day to come if you've come for the first time today. What Jesus is doing here in these couple of chapters in the book of Matthew is a grace-filled thing. He's giving us a warning. He's letting us know what is happening not with precise detail of date and time and place, but he's letting us know that something's going to happen in the future someday. He's telling us now he's coming back. To be ready, we have to know him. We have to know who Jesus is. We have to know who we are and what he's done for us. To be ready, we have to believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, came to take upon himself all of our brokenness, all of our sinfulness, all of our rejection of God, all of our selfish, godless living. He came to take that all upon himself as God's son, as our representative. And he did that at the cross. Everything we've ever done wrong has been laid upon Jesus. All of that guilt, all of that condemnation, all of that sin has been put upon him. And he paid the price of that sin at the cross. He satisfied God's justice, God's right justice at the cross. He made full payment for our sins so that we now, as we ask for forgiveness, God, please forgive me for all of the wrong that I've done. He freely gives that pardon of forgiveness because of what Jesus has done. We receive salvation and we are ready for Jesus to come. That is how we're made ready, by trusting in Jesus Christ and surrendering our life to him. We're made ready by that. But then how do we go on living in an ongoing state of readiness, which is a really important question. Jesus makes me ready, but how do I live in this ongoing state of being ready? Let's see what Paul told the Thessalonians, because they were troubled by this. They weren't sure what to do. They thought Jesus was coming back next week. So here's what Paul tells them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now he says this, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Forget the charts. Forget trying to analyse world events. Concerning the times and seasons, says, don't worry about that. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Does anybody know when a thief's coming? Do they send you a text? I'm coming tonight. No, they don't do that. You don't know when a thief's coming. Paul's saying... We don't know. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labour pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Who's Paul talking about there? People who aren't ready. People who aren't living for Jesus. People who are not expecting his return. Sudden destruction will come upon them. But you, Paul's now talking to the brothers and sisters in Christ in Thessalonica, 
But you are not in darkness. You know about the second coming of Christ. Brothers, for that day is no surprise to you like a thief. For you are children of the light, children of the day. You're aware of this. You're not in the dark about this. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep, unaware of what's happening, as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. They're unaware of what's happening. But you are not, because you're of the day. Verse 8. But since we belong to the day, aware of these events, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake, as in living, or asleep, dead in our bodies, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Don't you love Paul? Don't you love the way the Holy Spirit just inspires him to write that for us? It's intended for us today to get faith and hope and encouragement from it. Verse 8 is really key for us as we think about living in readiness. What does Paul say there? Let us be sober. If you're not sober, in the context of perhaps what Paul's talking about, and he uses this word there a couple of times, he's thinking about drunkenness. Now, I've never been drunk in my life, and I have no intention of ever being drunk, and actually I'm, I, uh, I'm staying from alcohol myself. But Paul's saying here, let us be sober. I think when you're drunk, you're out of control, aren't you? You're not fully in control of everything you're doing or saying or thinking. You just do things that are just outside of your control. That's what alcohol does to you. Paul's saying, let us be sober. What's he saying? Let us be self-controlled. Don't let your heart and your mind get out of control like in a drunken state, chasing after all manner of sinful desires, as in trying to live in a state of readiness for the return of Jesus. Don't be swayed or influenced by the intoxicating attitudes of this world that would have you live as Jesus is never going to return. And all we have is this world, so you might as well live it up for what we've got in this world because that's all we can see, that's all we've got. Paul's saying don't be intoxicated by the attitudes and the influences of this world, saying just Jesus is never going to return, just live for this world. Don't be intoxicated by that, Paul says. Don't be swayed by the social media influencers who are telling you this is the dream life, a life of self-indulgence with ease and fun. But no mention of Jesus and his call to selfless living that brings glory to him. Paul's saying, don't be intoxicated by these things. Don't be drunk with these things. He's saying, be sober-minded and let your life be a life that brings glory to God through holiness in living in readiness for the second coming and the return of Jesus Christ. Look what Paul says there in verse uh, Chapter 1, Thessalonians, uh, sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says this. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that just as you received it from us, how you ought to walk, live, and to please God, that's what we want to do, and just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So this is living in readiness, living to please God. Verse 2, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. This is God's direction for your life. What is it? Your sanctification. 
your separation from sinfulness, your separation from broken living, your separation from wrong things. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control, sober-minded, control, control his own body in what? Holiness and honour. Not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, or I could add there, and can control themselves. How do we live in readiness before God? We live a life pleasing to God, walking in self-control through holiness and through purity. A life that pleases and honours God. A life that delights in right living. This is a life that is battling, battling against sinful desires or the passions of lust, as Paul says there in those last verses. This is a life that is daily engaging against the influences of this world that would drown us out with its own self-centred, godless living. It's the daily battle. It's the daily engagement we're against. These things trying to influence our hearts and influence our minds. Now, when I say godless living, sometimes we sort of get extreme examples of that. Like it's some sort of outrageous drug and alcohol-fueled sexual romp or something. It's, It's this godless living. It's not necessarily that. The godless living that I'm thinking of or talking about are the subtle pleasures and treasures of this world that are offered to us that takes our focus off the gospel and therefore puts our focus onto ourselves and therefore doesn't really have us ready for the second coming of Christ. It's the subtle things that just shift our focus from readiness or living in holiness and purity that draw our focus towards other things in this life. Perhaps it could be this. It could be the continual seeking of the next holiday destination we want to go to. We just want to be filled up in our hearts and our minds so we're so consumed by choosing the next destination and what I'm going to do when I get there and where I'm going to eat and what clothes I'm going to wear. And and it fills our hearts with these sort of so-called little things, but they become big things. And when that focus becomes like that, we're not thinking about the second coming of Christ. We're not thinking about the return of Jesus. We take a good thing and make it a big thing or an ultimate thing and it distracts our focus. It gravitates towards our hearts and it so consumes us. They can be the godless things that draw us away from readiness. So here's how we wait in readiness for Jesus' return. We live in holiness, treasuring Jesus and going about our everyday lives. We go to work. We cook a meal. We do the washing. We mow the lawns. Fix up the chook house. Whatever. We just go about our everyday life. We be part of our local community, engaging with the community around about us. And we reflect the Holy Spirit's power out through our lives. And we do this through lives of holiness and purity before God. That's how we wait. We don't need to get out the charts. We don't need to get out the maps. We don't need to put our timelines together. We don't need to analyse all the world events, what's happening. It's okay to be aware of them, but we don't need to sit there and try and make them fit into our puzzle or fit into our timeline Paul says don't worry about the times and the seasons nobody knows when Jesus is coming and we just simply live for Jesus in readiness waiting for his return here's what I heard a few years ago um, in a talk I listened to once about this live as though Jesus is coming back tonight and plan that he's coming back next century 
So make your plans. Make your plans for the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 20 years, whatever. But live as though he's coming back tonight. And here's what you'll experience if you do that. Let's come back to Thessalonians 5.8 again. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. In readiness, this is what we experience. We experience our faith, our faith in Jesus growing. As we live in purity and in holiness, we experience our faith strengthening and growing as we live in readiness. Our love in Jesus grows as we live in readiness, as we live in purity and in holiness. Daily we experience Jesus' unbelievable salvation love. We are loved more than we could ever believe by God as we wait in readiness for his return. And what does that do? That grows our hope. It grows our hope. We are not destined for destruction. We are destined for salvation. And what does that do? It grows our hope. We're not living each day in panic or fear, wondering when Jesus is coming and will I be ready? No, when we are filled with his love and our faith is growing in him, our hope grows and we don't have to panic and we don't have to fear. Why? Because we are safe in Jesus. Jesus could come back today. He could come back next week. He could come back next year. He could come back next century. It doesn't matter. I'm absolutely safe in Christ in what he's done for me. I don't have to panic and fear. I experience this everlasting hope. So where are you today? Jesus said, I'm coming back. Are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to return? When Jesus returns, it'll both be glorious and dreadful. It will be glorious and it will be dreadful. It'll be glorious for the five wise virgins because they were ready. They were prepared. But it will be dreadfully horrible for those who aren't prepared and those who aren't ready. You see, they're locked out. And they bang on the door, please can we come in? And the bridegroom says, I don't know you. I don't know you. See, Jesus is giving us a warning here. He wants us to be ready. He doesn't want us to be one of the five foolish virgins. He wants us to receive his offer of salvation right here, right now. Not put it off till next week, tonight, next month, next year. He wants us to be ready. Jesus said he will come like a thief in the night. When we least expect it, he will come and then he will close the door. And there'll be no more mercy after he comes. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come before you today and we thank you and we praise you uh, for this glorious parable that Jesus, you've told us. Father, we thank you today for the grace and the heart of love that Jesus has, that he warns us. 
he warns us and lets us know that he's coming back again. Just as surely as he came 2,000 years ago, he will come again. And we know then, Lord, that when he comes, this will be the final time that he does come. And the door will be closed. And there will be no more mercy when that door is closed. God, we ask and pray today you would open up hearts and minds, perhaps that have never thought about that. Perhaps have never heard that. Perhaps have said, oh, I'll put it off one day. God, I pray, please open up those hearts and ears and minds to receive it today, that today is the day of salvation. God, I pray, help us to live in readiness. Help us, Lord, as this world tries to intoxicate us with its influences coming from every aspect of our lives, having us live as though Jesus is never going to come again. Help us to live in holiness and in purity, keeping our focus upon Christ, going about our everyday lives, Lord, living for your glory and displaying that out through our lives, but not allowing the influences of this world to deaden us or make us drunk with its false way of living. Help us today to be children of the day, as it were, living in the daytime, aware of what's taking place, living, Lord, in hope and in faith and in love that you've given to us. Lord, we thank you for that now. We ask and pray that, Jesus, uh, you would do those miracles in hearts and minds now. For your glory, Lord. Amen. Amen. We're going to respond now. Um, with part of our service, we uh, come to respond to God's word. And one of the greatest ways we can respond is to come around the communion table. Now, I just want to um, let people know as well here, the communion table is a, uh, a celebration and a practice for faithful following believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, if you're a faithful following believer of Jesus Christ, we invite you today to come and partake of this communion table. And if you're a visitor here for us for the first time and you are a faithful practicing believer, we want you to, to be, take part in this table with us. But if you're a visitor here for the first time and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, uh, we would ask just respectfully that you would just observe and just withdraw from this um, time as the cup has passed from you and let it pass by you without taking from it. If I could get um, Tom and um, Jamie, if you guys could hand out the communion elements, that would be really, really helpful for us. I was going to read a passage here from Hebrews, which I think really helps pick us up here, thinking about the preparation um, and being prepared for the return of Jesus. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 5 to 10, and it says this. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said, Above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifice and burnt offerings and, and sin offerings, these are offered according to the Lord. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Here the writer of the Hebrews is talking here about the death of Jesus. Jesus was prepared for his first coming. How was he prepared? He was prepared, prepared with a body. The eternal Son of God took on a body just like you can see of mine and I can see of yours. And that body was offered up as a sacrifice for our sins. 
This is the centrality of the Christian faith. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. So just as we are preparing for the second coming of Christ, we're remembering that Jesus also prepared to come. He got himself ready. He was given a body. And that body was ultimately nailed to the cross so that we could have our sins forgiven. So as we come around the table today, this is what we are remembering that enables us to be ready in the first place. It is through the body that Jesus was given that that body was ultimately nailed to the cross and sacrificed for the forgiveness of our sins. So as you receive that cup today and as you hold that cracker again, it is a symbolic reminder of a real life, a real person and a real death. Not a meaningless death. The most meaningful death in human history. The death that Jesus uh, hold for us in our place so that we could receive that forgiveness, so that we could be made ready for his second coming. Take the cup as it's just being passed by now and hold those emblems and just look at them. Not that there's anything special in the emblem itself, it's what it symbolises. Think about that shed blood. Think about that broken body. Remind yourself that that is the only way that I can be ready to meet Jesus. Okay, let's hold this cup and let's hold this broken bit of cracker. The cracker represents the broken body of Christ, the body given to him to be prepared to come to this earth. Let's eat this cracker in remembering that Jesus was broken for us. Let's take the cup. Again, representing the shed blood of Christ. The gruesome, bloody death of Jesus through which we receive the forgiveness of our sins. Guys, never ever be ashamed or embarrassed about the blood of Christ or about the message of the gospel that is around a crucified saviour. This is the glory of God. Drink this cup now in remembrance of what Jesus has done in being prepared for us so that we can be made ready for him. Okay, the team is going to come and just uh, lead us through one last song to uh, finish up.